1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Now let's pray. Our Father, now as we uh, turn our attention to your word, we seek your help that you would come by your spirit to grant us understanding, uh, to so work in our hearts and minds that uh, we would realize and know the truth of your word and by your spirit, you would help us to live according to that truth. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, I wonder what you would say is the greatest threat to the church today. Would it be the threats against our religious liberties from local and federal governments or, or courts? Maybe it's the, the Marxist wor- worldview that's invading our public schools and universities. Or is it the threat of persecution for members of churches like ours that believe what the scriptures teach about sex and marriage? Maybe a potential socialist takeover of our federal government. Well, those are all serious issues and are definitely concerning. However, if you pay attention to the New Testament, bad theology and false teaching seem to have a far greater concern for the apostles. When reading the New Testament epistles, the greatest threat to the church today, it seems, is is bad theology. Bad theology being taught and promoted by hypocritical teachers and preachers. And it can happen in a very subtle way. Two church members send an invitation out to a Facebook group made up of several other couples in the church for a special small group Bible study that they will plan to host. This is a select group, people that they enjoy being with already, and of course they're also people who have been expressing some level of dissatisfaction with the church and the pastor's preaching. However, it's not really a Bible study. They, they don't open their Bibles much and study a passage. Instead, they, they get together and they take in the teaching of someone that they discovered on the internet. He's engaging. He's humorous. He really makes them feel better about themselves. And they end up ordering his, his latest book, and they begin to, to, to read and discuss it together as a group. And over the next few months, well, they attract a few more from the church to join their group. And all of a sudden, it's been over a year, and none of the members of this group attend the church anymore. Now their, their church consists of only the members of their group, isolated from the others, watching their favorite internet preacher on YouTube and reading his books, whatever he recommends them to read. So how do we keep ourselves from becoming like that? How do we keep ourselves from turning away 
from the truth of the gospel and believing teaching that is false or unorthodox? How do we keep from making shipwreck of our faith, as, as Paul puts it in chapter 1? These verses here that we just read provide us with help if we would take them seriously and heed their warnings. So putting it simply, the the verses tell us the way to keep ourselves from turning away is to know God's word and avoid bad theology. Know God's word and avoid bad theology. That's that's the main theme from verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4. So as we saw in the last passage at the end of chapter 3, the purpose of this letter is so that the readers may know how one ought to behave in the church, in the household of God. And so for the next three chapters, that's what we're going to be hearing about, how to behave within the church or or as the church. Beginning here in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is focused on warning believers against shipwrecking their faith And I think it comes down to just three main admonitions. Number one, realize that some will turn away from Christ. Number two, know the sources of false teaching or or bad theology. And number three, test all teaching by God's word. So realize, know, and test. So first, first part of verse one realize that some will turn away from Christ. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. In chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Paul used uh, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander as examples of two church members who had made shipwreck of their faith. These would have been men, Timothy and uh, his church, knew personally. They were probably also well aware of the example of Judas, Judas who who turned away and betrayed the Lord Jesus. They knew this kind of thing happened, but of course it is almost always shocking when it does, especially when people you know and truly believed were, were, were Christians when they turn away. It can really shake your faith, especially if those who turn away were teachers or preachers who taught and discipled you. So when it happens, we are to know God's word warned us that it would. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. The Holy Spirit has already testified through the Old Testament Scriptures as well as from what we see in several places in the New Testament that some will depart from the faith or apostatize. That is, commit apostasy. Some uh, some who once seemed to embrace Christ as Lord will end up rejecting Him, turning away from Him, moving in the opposite direction. We should also recognize that when Paul says in later times here, he was referring to the very times that we are in. Timothy and his church had already experienced Hymenaeus and Alexander depart from the faith. He then begins to speak in the present tense here, warning the believers about those who had departed from the faith and what they were teaching. 
We also see in 2 Timothy 3, chapter 1, Paul uses the same words there. In the last days, he says, there will come times of difficulty. And he then goes on to warn Timothy uh, in that very passage uh, of ungodly sinners who will be the cause of great difficulty to the church. And he tells them in 2 Timothy 3, 5, to avoid such people, again, in the present tense. Therefore, these last days that Paul was referring to here were the days that they were living in. In the New Testament, the last days are a reference to the age that began when Christ ascended into heaven and will last until his glorious return. So with all that has been happening in the world in the past few years, maybe you have wondered, man, are, are we in the last days? Are we in the end times? Well, the New Testament says yes. Yes, it is. It is the the last days. And we've been living in them for for quite some time now. Therefore, don't be surprised when some turn away from Christ. When it happens, and it will happen, don't let it shake up your faith. It should instead help to confirm your faith. Confirm your faith in the, re- in the re- reliability of the New Testament Scriptures. For the Scriptures tell us that that's what's going to happen. Now, there have been two, two movements that have caused fear and trembling among many in the religious media the past few years. Uh, that is, uh, the polls that, that tell us that there has been a great decline in church uh, attendance and a significant rise in what the media are re- re- referring to as the nuns, the nuns are those who are being questioned, you know, uh, for surveys, and then under religious affiliation in those surveys, they are checking the box for none, that is, no religious affiliation. That is, the, the number of people claiming no religious affiliation is growing in our country. Secularism is on the rise. More and more people who used to claim a certain church affiliation, are no longer doing so. And many church attendees are no longer doing so with any regularity, especially since 2020 uh, with the COVID pandemic. They're just not coming anymore. At the same time, we've also heard about more and more people who claim to be evangelical Christians who have now come out publicly claiming to have deconstructed their faith. That is, they have, they, they have questioned. They've questioned what they were taught about the gospel and especially what they were taught about Christian sexual ethics. They may have come to, to forsake what, what evangelicals believe regarding things like, like marriage, homosexuality, personhood, and the exclusivity of Christ for salvation. Many have decided that they, they, they'd rather believe what our secular culture believes regarding those things instead of what the Bible teaches and so have departed from the faith. They have come to think they they know better than Jesus about those things. And maybe it's also happened a little closer to home for you. Maybe you know someone who you really thought was someone who knew the Lord someone who professed 
to be a Christian, who identified themselves with Jesus and the church, but who have now drifted away, who are living in a publicly sinful way. When it happens close to home, it saddens us, and it should. But it should not cause us to question our own faith or the faithfulness of God's promises. They haven't changed. In fact, the very words that declare Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners also say here some will depart from the faith. Realize that some will turn away. Secondly, know the sources of false teaching. Know the sources of false teaching or bad theology. Verses the second half of verse 1 and then verse 2. One thing that we are to keep in mind from these verses as well as the rest of the New Testament is that spiritual warfare is just as real today as it was in the time of Christ. Demons are real, and Satan, the chief demon, is real. We should all be well aware that there is great opposition to the true church and our beliefs within the mainstream of our society. God's word here wants us to see what stands behind that opposition. Where the opposition to the Lord Jesus and what he has taught comes from. That is, it is a spiritual opposition. And then that spiritual opposition influences the human opposition. The church has an enemy and he is a deceiver and so many people willingly believe his lies. We see that here again, verse 1 and verse 2. Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So the source of apostasy, the source of false teaching is, is, is bad theology, which, which is an understanding of God and his plan of redemption that is not faithful to Scripture. And at, at the end of verse 1, it shows us where bad theology, false teaching ultimately comes from. It comes from deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now there are, are two errors, two things we can get wrong in our response to this word about demons and the devil. First, we can do what our society has done for the most part, just not, not take it seriously at all. I mean, just just just... just Subject any belief in the demonic as ridiculous. Mock anyone who would be so foolish to admit that they believe in the devil. That is to just dismiss any mention of, of, of evil spiritual beings as, 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 as so far outside of, of rational understanding of the world that anyone who would confess to believing in such a thing is probably too dangerous to allow to live in our society. Now, that may be what our secular society would believe, but again, from what we see here in, in God's word, Christians must take the demonic seriously. It's what God's word tells us. But the other error would be to make more of the demonic than the Bible does. To blame everything that goes wrong on the devil. To use Satan as an excuse for, for why we sin. For why things don't go as well as we had hoped. Christians have been known to blame Satan rather than to look at their own 
their own irresponsibility for their lack of success within their church or their marriage or even their business. Satan can be an easy scapegoat for us. So we are not to give the enemy too much credit. After all, if we really are Christ's people by faith, we are not to be afraid. For he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. But as we look at our world and what has been going on in our society, and as we consider the ongoing false teaching that seems to rise up and lead people away from Jesus who have grown up in churches or have been a part of them, we are to know that there is more going on than just people reasoning things out in their own minds. There's more going on than just people doing what makes the most sense to them. Paul points to the Holy Spirit's words at the beginning of verse 1. So the Holy Spirit is real and he has spoken. But we are also to know that there is another spirit at work in the world, the spirit of the age. There is a spiritual darkness over our world and there are demonic forces at work deceiving those who are not protected by the spirit of truth or as Paul calls them, those who believe and know the truth, in verse 3. So here's an example of, of just one of the ways that our very scientific, our very advanced and technological society is being deceived today. And we need to ask ourselves, where does this come from? Last week, First Lady Jill Biden, the wife of our president, gave one of the International Women of Courage Awards to a man. International Women of Courage Awards, she gave it to a man, a man who was dressed up like a woman. A man who pretends to, to be a woman. In our society, it, it's now supposed to be normal and acceptable for men to dress in women's clothes, to go into women's locker rooms, to dress there or use women's restrooms in public places. Just last week, the president himself stated on record that it is perfectly normal, right, and good for doctors to surgically remove body parts from children who would prefer to look like the opposite sex. He said that any state that would allow this to happen, that would, that would, that would, that would allow this to not happen, again, to, to, to uh, avoid it from happening, to make it so that it can't happen, any state that would do that is cruel and close to sinful. It would keep kids from doing this. Friends, when you hear the man who occupies the highest government office in our nation, one of the most powerful nations in the world, say that it is cruel and close to sinful that a state would try to protect children from doctors who would perform irreversible invasive surgery on them, you have to pause and ask yourself, where is that coming from? What's going on? Or when our nation's Secretary for Health changes his name, uh, wears his hair long, puts on makeup and a dress, and tells everyone that he's now a woman, e even though anyone can obviously tell by looking at him that he's definitely still a man. And we're supposed to believe that this is normal, that this is good for our society, that people like that deserve our respect. We have to ask ourselves, what is going on? Where is this coming from? 
deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. The source is the same source who first deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden, telling her, you will not surely die. Eat the fruit, for when you eat of it, it will make you like God. You don't need God. You don't need him. You can be gods yourselves. You can decide for yourselves what is good and what is evil. That is bad theology, friends. That's the source of bad theology. Bad theology has led to the debauchery and wickedness we are seeing take over our society. That is man-centered. Humanity looks at itself for wisdom, for truth, for satisfaction. That is what happens when we try to live without reference to God. Where did it come from? What's the source? Revelation 12.9 says, The devil, the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Verse 2 tells us Satan works through hypocrites here. He works, works through those, the insincerity of liars. The, the word for that is, is, is also translated as hypocrites, those who pretend to be someone that they really aren't. But once you pretend for so long, you, you, you begin to believe your own lies. You, you treat your, your conscience like an alarm clock. Of course, the, con- the conscience is supposed to kind of alert you. This is wrong. This is wrong. Don't do this. Don't believe this. Don't walk in that way. But we, we, we treat our consciences like, like an alarm clock, right? When the alarm of your alarm clock goes off, what do you do? You smack it. You hit, hit snooze. You turn it off. When the alarm of your conscience go, goes off, you, you hit the snooze button on your conscience. You, you, you ignore it. And the more you do that, the more you'll learn to just ignore it. To just ignore your conscience. Before you know it, your conscience has been seared. It has been deadened. It no longer guides you to what's right. The deceivers become the deceived as it says in 2 Timothy 3.13. So I've used examples of the lies in our society that are leading our society into destruction, but, but these same lies have been Ill- infiltrating the church for when the society begins to lean on the church with pressure to follow its ways, well, the church will do one of two things. The church will either compromise and conform itself to the society, as we've seen so many churches in our society do, or the church will continue to stand, to stand as the pillar and buttress of the truth, to continue to say, we are going to stand with what Jesus says and not, be comprom- not, not comprom- compromise ourselves with what society says. So which will it be for us? Which will it be for you? Lastly, we are to test all teaching by God's word. This is verses 3 through 5. Test all teaching 
by God's word. Beginning in verse 3, Paul provides an example of the, of the false demonic teaching of those insincere liars he mentioned in verse 2. And it may not be what we were expecting. Look at verses 3 through 5 again. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. The false teaching that Paul is addressing doesn't have to do with the divinity of Christ, whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. It's not denying the exclusivity of Christ or the reality of hell. Instead, it's focused on what? It's focused on marriage and meat. Marriage and meat. It it seems these false teachers were forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from certain foods. Now, why would anyone want to forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods? Paul doesn't get into much detail about uh, why they they were doing so here, but when he uses words like forbid and require, well, you know that these prohibitions were key to the teaching of these men. They weren't small matters to them. We know it isn't bad or sinful to be single and not marry. I mean, Jesus never married. Paul was single. We also know it isn't wrong to fast from certain foods for a time. That isn't the issue. What is wrong is when a teacher forbids marriage and requires abstinence from foods. That is, they were saying in order to be accepted by God, in order to be faithful to the Lord, you must not marry. And you must not eat meat. These prohibitions may have been influenced by by certain teaching in the first century that believed the physical body was evil. And therefore, to be holy, you must keep yourself from any enjoyment of the flesh. Any enjoyment of the flesh that you might get from a sexual relationship within marriage or eating meat. That is, the way to holiness and being right with God is not through trusting the saving work of Christ on your behalf, but it will come through your own works, your own works of denying yourself these physical pleasures, marriage and eating. This would then be a false gospel, of course. It's a false gospel that they were teaching. In, in this teaching, the way of salvation is not through faith alone and Christ alone. It is, through, it is through Christ and this form of asceticism, this form of denying yourself certain pleasures, denying yourself marriage, denying yourself meat. They were adding their own works to the gospel. And in doing so, they were denying the sufficiency of Christ's saving work on their behalf. So, brothers and sisters, beware. Beware. For for many false teachings that are still alive and well today follow a similar track of teaching that we must add something to Christ's finished work on the cross for us. That we must add our own good works. We must add our own religious observance. Maybe baptism. Maybe making sure that we're partaking of the Lord's Supper. 
or, or making sure we, we, we are the member of the right church. Or making sure we, we dress a certain way. Or making sure we, we, we don't drink alcohol. Or, or, or I've even been, been told once that I, I can't really be a faithful Christian and definitely not a faithful pastor if I don't use the King James Version of the Bible. That is why, that is why we test all teaching by God's Word. That's why I want you to have your Bibles open on Sunday mornings when I preach. We test all teaching by God's Word. That is what Paul does here in these verses for us. He recognizes that forbidding marriage is wrong because marriage was God's idea. That's what it teaches in Genesis. Genesis 2.18 says, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit or suitable for him. God also blessed the man and woman at creation and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There's only one way that that happens, right? So marriage is made holy by God's word. It is not something to be forbidden, but it is blessed by God. Also, Genesis tells us that, that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, Genesis 1.29, and that every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, Genesis 9.3, he tells Noah and his family. So, so Paul would have known that Jesus declared all foods clean and free for his people to enjoy in Mark 7.19, therefore, as verse 4 tells us, nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. God's word declared it good. And when we receive our food and other blessings from God with thanksgiving, we make it holy. We, we, we make it holy, we make it set apart for our good. So when Paul checked this bad theology, uh, against God's word, he found that it wasn't faithful to Scripture. Now, some of you may have already made a connection in your minds, with, uh, which I think is, is applicable here. That's how one of the most influential churches in our world today teaches abstinence from meat for a certain time each year and how they forbid marriage for certain members of their church. I think Paul would argue, as he does here, that those re requirements are not coming from the Holy Spirit, but from, from somewhere else. We cannot make ourselves any more holy and acceptable to God by our own works, by things we do. The gospel of Jesus Christ teaches that sinners like us can only be forgiven, cleansed, and made holy through our faith in what Christ accomplished on our behalf. We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. We have nothing we can point to and say to God, look look there at what I did. Look at what, at what I gave up for you. Look at my goodness. Look at my righteousness. No, even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags before the holy God, as the prophet Isaiah tells us. Our salvation is a gift of God's grace through Christ's life and death and resurrection for us. We can't make ourselves acceptable in God's sight. Christ had to do the work for us, and he accomplished that work. It is finished. We must only confess our need for his grace. 
and receive it with open arms. So be diligent, brothers and sisters. Be diligent. Don't blindly accept the teaching of every book, every popular internet preacher, uh, even the worship songs that you hear on the radio just because they are supposedly Christian. Get to know the sources. Get to know the sources. Who or what is behind them? Are, are they faithful teachers and faithful churches? Test them by God's word. Use discernment. Avoid bad theology and get into God's word yourself so that you will know the gospel well. 